Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. And welcome to the Colin McEnroe Show. Things are a little bit different today in a lot of different ways. First of all, we've moved down to the uh, beautiful New Haven studios uh, of WNPR, and we've done that to meet today's guests halfway, so to speak. Uh, Joe Gannett was running for mayor of Bridgeport. Rather than making him come all the way up to Hartford in the middle of a busy campaign, we thought, well, we'll, we'll sort of triangulate and uh, we'll meet down in New Haven. So that's where we are. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about what we're going to be doing as we go along here today. But I first of all want you to meet uh, Joe Gannam. Joe Gannam, of course, mayor of Bridgeport uh, during the 1990s and running once again. Uh, it's a long, complicated story. We're going to tell you as much of it as we can today and we'll talk about why this race is happening now. But Joe Gannam, maybe we can just begin. Uh, in 1992, I think you're 32 years old. Uh, you're a young mayor of Bridgeport. You come in in the middle of a bankruptcy case. The previous mayor's Tried to put the city into bankruptcy. My recollection is uh, there was a federal appeal about whether or not the city qualified for bankruptcy protection, and you decided to basically withdraw that appeal and take the city out of the bankruptcy process. First of all, why did you do that? Well, first, even before I get to that, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for accommodating by coming kind of halfway to New Haven, a great city. We as love well. it down here. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice, and so it's a pleasure to join. It's been a while, and it did go back and start with the the election shortly after the city was in bankruptcy court, and I did take and uh, make a, a withdrawal of the bankruptcy. And I thought for reasons that were critically important, I thought the city had to deal openly, straightforward uh, with all of its challenges, whether it was the, uh, whether the inability to, uh, to balance its budget based on property taxes, the over-reliance on property taxes, whether it was uh, the challenge between management and unions on, on contracts, um, unfunded pensions, but I thought and believed, and, and, and hindsight now uh, tells me it was right, that if we did that and if we were able to get people together, um, focused together, management and labor, uh, business leaders and, 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 and city officials, and local and state and even federal help uh, in some instances, that we could, in fact, move past what was probably the most uh, devastating uh, financial crisis, uh, certainly in Bridgeport's history, and noted across the country as one of the worst of any large city in, in the country at the time. Where do you think the city is now? Let's say that you uh, you win this uh, election, you win this primary uh, first, you win the election, you get sworn in, you've already talked about some things you want to do, we'll be talking about those things today. Is there the money to do things right now? Can can does Where's, where's Bridgeport fiscally right now compared to, say, where it was in 92? Well, it's, it, in some ways, it's hard to tell. There the advantage, if there was one, and it wasn't much of one at the time when it was bankrupt, was there was some transparency. Right now, there's no transparency. Mm-hmm. The local administration has basically uh, denied uh, access, whether it's FOI, Freedom of Information, or uh, other type of information to be disseminated to the general public as to the actual fiscal status or, or stability of the city. So I can guess. What, what does that guessing, if you will, or, or that estimate or that analysis tell me? It tells me that um, it's not quite as bad as it was, but that because they've allowed things like the manning levels of the Bridgeport Police Department to drop to its lowest levels, down maybe 100 officers, because they um, have raised taxes every year for the past seven years, maybe except for election years, 
that there's some challenges that need to be faced and dealt with once we get in there. So I'm, I'm not going in there with any, uh, any great visions of how easy it's going to be. It's going to be challenging to put this place back on track. I want to go back to what you said about transparency. I mean, uh, city budget's a public document. You know what revenues are. You know what the grand list is. You know what the mill rate is. You know, I assume, what the expenses of municipal government are in Bridgeport. What are you saying it is that you don't know? Well, even on the uh, required basis of filing um, what are your monthly financial reports, they're either not filed or delayed at the end of the year. They're just forgotten, for instance. Certainly, there's audits that are done. Um, there's notes in an audit that, uh, that can be looked at. But for the present year, uh, it's hard to tell, for instance. There's an announcement about hiring more police officers. Yet at the same time, there, if you look at the budget line item, the amount, $3.7 million or some amount to that, is not even in the budget. So you wonder whether a public statement as to the funding or the commitment to hire that's been made recently is actually supported by the documents that uh, and, and the money in the budget, as an example. So you, you're seeking the, nom- the Democratic nomination. Uh, you didn't get it uh, at the town committee level. You're going uh, to get the signatures. You've already got probably the signatures you need to primary. What's this primary going to be about? Uh, now that you've, assuming you've got the signatures that qualify, you now go into a phase where I assume there'll be debates and that there'll be some back and forth. What's your part of this conversation? What are you going to be saying? My part of this conversation is that we need a bridge board that works for everyone. It's a bridge board that's open. It doesn't deal with or, or, or cater to a few, and, and no disrespect to people from outside Bridgeport, but to uh, large developers who are coming in and making large-scale campaign contributions to uh, secure certain development rights in the city. But my campaign was predicated on an outreach both in the churches and in the neighborhoods in every part of the city to a, uh, a beautiful multi-ethnic community or a city that has uh, neighborhoods and communities that are saying, where do we fit in? If there are going to be jobs in the city with the highest, one of the highest unemployment rates around, why aren't we included? Um, and it is a vision that is, has a foundation in many ways on some of the job creation development projects, the ballpark that brought in the Bridgeport Bluefish, the arena that brought in not only hockey but basketball and the circus, um, the foundation for Steel Point, which is waterfront development that's been talked about in the city, and neighborhood projects too numerous to, that, that set the stage, if you will, for some of the things that I think we can do in the city of Bridgeport, in addition to, which we'll get to, I'm sure, uh, property tax stabilization, increasing public safety and neighborhood beautification, and improving the quality of education. All right. As we go along here, by the way, uh, you can call in. Uh, I have to very carefully read the number because I'm not used to the New Haven studio. It's 203-776-9677. I believe that's 203-776-WNPR, if you are the type of person who likes to spell things out with your phone. We're talking to <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe Gannon right now. Okay, I, I want to get to some of the stuff that's the past later. But, I mean, since you said this, there are going to be a bunch of people, and you know it as well as I do right now, going to say, wow, I mean, Joe Gannon, is he the guy who should be talking right now and, and who, who could, can do something about any sort of sense of pay for play or this notion of, of contractors making donations or, or even transparency? Why is Joe Gannon, Gannon uh, in particular the right guy to do this in some ways, given uh, the, the history, maybe he's the wrong guy to do this? What, what's your response to that? I think the right guy, knowing the challenges that are that are beset by uh, running for and being elected to public office, the uh, influence of, of big money in every campaign. Uh, the president administration is probably going to raise a million dollars in this campaign. Uh, we can go through chapter and verse of how that influences um, public policy. On our side of it, we've made a conscious decision uh, not to um, 
seek and many things not to accept. Um, We've taken the type of influential money that the other side has done. We've committed to a campaign of transparency and would like to bring that same level to um, city government. Why? Because we know how mistakes can be made. I made them. I paid for them. I've moved beyond them. And when I talk to people in the city of Bridgeport, they accept the concept as, as I think most most people in this country do. I mean, this is America. They accept the concept. If, you, if you're willing to, to, to step up and say, hey, uh, I made a mistake. Um, I learned from it. I paid my price. To, um, and, and by the way, if you were generally good at what you were doing, and it, which I think objectively most people would say, yeah, the guy did some pretty good stuff when he was mayor, um, we'll give you a second chance. And it's a second chance city um, if you end up going out and talking to people. Um, so that part of it, I think, is on a human basis, on a human basis, is, is somewhat rewarding. So in terms of money raising, are you saying that you're consciously not going to raise money from certain sources and that you're consciously going to run? I mean, the reality is Finch can raise more money than you can probably. I mean, no matter what, he's an incumbent mayor. You've got you know a whole bunch of ways in which you've got an uphill climb. He can, if he can raise a million dollars, I doubt you can. Um, but you're saying you're consciously not going to want money from certain sources? Well, let me, let me be even more specific. There are your usual suspects in Bridgeport, as mm-hmm. I'm sure there are in New Haven and Hartford. I don't mean that they're nefarious characters, but they're individuals who, um, before Gannon was mayor and before Finch was mayor and you know, go all the way back, uh, contribute. Uh, they're probably on every contribution list because they have some sort of vested interest in, in, in Bridgeport. Not necessarily corrupt, but they're all on Bill Finch's uh, uh, fundraising list. Our emphasis has been um, to uh, take it to a level where um, we've approached small businesses, uh, individual people who have not really participated in the process before. And in two months, we've raised a quarter million dollars, uh, which even by Bridgeport standards for an incumbent is a substantial amount of money. And most of it, I don't remember the exact percentages, but let's say more than half came from Bridgeport. And then you also have the other side who raised I don't know, 75, 80% of the money from uh, developers from outside the city. So there's some contrast. When you look at those reports, there's, there's some contrast. But at bottom, this campaign has been predicated, as you'll see from, I think, uh, those that are participating in it, on, on, on working with the people. Um, signatures were significant for me. Yes, I wanted the town committee endorsement. I think losing it by a few votes here or there showed that the, um, there's a strong deterioration not just in the neighborhoods, but within the party for support for this administration because of, as I like to call it, failed policy. But to take it to the people, whether it's with financial support or hopefully on uh, September 16th with popular support with the votes in the Democratic primary. Yeah, we should say that the town committee was relatively close. I think you were about eight, eight votes off the pace you needed to be to have Testa break the tie for you. What was that all about? Why was Mario Testa, who, I mean, talk about this constant fixture in Bridgeport politics. I don't know how many decades it's been, but he's sort of been the guy there for all of those decades. Why was he, he had announced before the convention, also very unusual, that he would break a tie in your favor. Why, why was that? Why, why did that happen? I don't, look, in part, there's always been a mutual respect for uh, the town chairman. I've had the, the respect for Mario Testa was the town chairman. You don't last that long in politics unless you're honest, straightforward, hardworking, and want to do things for the right reasons. Um, we've, we've always had a strong relationship. At the same time, I think what drove his politics in, in, in this process was the lack of candor and follow-through by the administration on, on some of the basic things that are important. 
look at as much as he's a, 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 a town chairman, he's a businessman in the city. When you raise his taxes every year except an election year, he gets mad. And when he calls for police protection and you're down 8,200 officers and he can't get police protection, he's a citizen just like anybody else. So, so I think at, at bottom this comes down to how do individual people feel about are we better off and, or can we be better off if we make a change? So I think that's where he, he came out on this um, ultimately. And I think he got pushed. And uh, there were some things that, uh, you know, within politics, when people give you their word, um, the word, for instance, the mayor came out with his word before he got elected eight years ago. He was going to cut taxes, give everybody $600 back, steady raised them. That's something that lingers with people in a, in a poor community that's been dubbed, um, unfortunately, the highest tax community in the country. What kind of campaign is this going to be between you and Mayor Finch? I mean, in terms of the tone of this campaign, is it going to be gloves on the ice, bare knuckles, or, or uh, a campaign about ideas and policies, or somewhere half, halfway between those two? <laughs> well, it depends on which side you want to take a perspective. My perspective is this. I, I entered this because I was approached shortly after the first of the year uh, by individuals in neighborhoods and communities that felt disenfranchised that they weren't a part of, got no response from, or attention to the sensitive issues in their neighborhoods. And they thought, because of the work we'd done together, because of the commitment I'd made on the good days while I was mayor, that we could make change in the city of Bridgeport. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, improving drop, uh, improving uh, percentage of students that graduate from high school and go on to college, reducing the dropout rate, uh, for reducing the classroom size, and, and, and encouraging more individuals to be the teachers in the Bridgeport schools when you talk about education. When you talk about public safety, I want to talk about reinstituting community policing in the city of Bridgeport, which has been decimated along with many of the departments or many, many divisions within the department or the police department. I want to talk about how you stabilize taxes. I'm a guy who kept the taxes down, held the line of taxes for 10 years in, in that city, and people only see them go up. So I want to talk about the future as a better place. I want to build on the development that we did with the arena and the ballpark and what some significant but not quite uh, up to par is going on on Steel Point, another development project we started. The other side uh, wants to harp on the past. And I don't think people, from talking about it, even when I bring it up, don't want to talk about it. They say, look, uh, what are you going to do, Joe, if we elect you, uh, what are you going to do for Bridgeport? What are you going to do about my taxes? And they look you in the eye and say, what are you going to do about taxes? What are you going to do about public safety. Are my kids going to be safe? And, 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 and what about the schools? Those that have children in our public schools, they look you in the eye and they say, how are we going to improve schools, Joe, Mr. Mayor, if you're going to be mayor again? So it's about having a, a, a clear vision of how to improve those basic fundamental needs that Bridgeport has in, in, in a diverse community in every neighborhood. I'm, um, again, not a rich community, never will be. You got to do it with limited resources. Let's uh, really, uh, you could plot me down in almost any city in Connecticut, and a lot of other cities too, and tell me there's an election going on. And I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I can tell you, okay, so it's going to be a problem about property taxes, schools, and crime and cops. I mean, those pretty much drive politics in, in, in urban centers in Connecticut and elsewhere. Let's talk about the property tax for a second. All right. Property taxes, I mean, it's not even a city problem, it's an everybody problem, it's an everywhere problem. Property taxes are strangling uh, people in Connecticut. Um, a place like Bridgeport, uh, state aid is probably going to keep going down in certain ways. Your Some of your fixed costs are just going to go up in certain ways. So you talk about tax stabilization. Um, how do you do that? How do you stabilize the property tax when, in fact, your expenses go up and outside revenues go down? Well, you have to deal with just those two fundamental elements like you would in a business. Um, I guess the best example or, or, or credential I have on that is that I did it. 
We talked about the bankruptcy. When I took the city over, in addition to being federal bankruptcy court, there was about a $20 million deficit that had to be closed within the next six months, which was a challenge, and a projected $250 million accumulated deficit for a city with a budget of about $300,000 at the time. When I left, when I left, we had stabilized, and by the way, the credit ratings, your access to the capital markets on Wall Street uh, had, been, had been eliminated. We were junk bond rating, uh, and so that, had, that credibility had to be built back up before you could even do anything. Never, you weren't going to do deficit borrowing, but even to do capital. So we were in pretty tough financial situation. Um, when I left office, uh, we had stabilized. We, after the first year, we held a line on taxes every year, which means we did not increase uh, the tax burden on the residential homeowners or businesses in the city. Um, again, something that hasn't been done by this administration, just the opposite. They raised it probably 45, almost, almost 50% of the average homeowner. And um, so there is ways to do it. It's, it's by not increasing spending in areas, non-discretionary spending where you don't need to. It's by, it's by looking, as we did in some ways, innovative or, or, or a source of revenue or things that had not been focused on. Even back taxes, for instance, where prior administration, I don't know about this one, had allowed back taxes to accumulate and were not collected. And we went to the state and got a law passed so that we could do things in Bridgeport like tax lien sales, which increased the collection of tax uh, on the collection of property taxes substantially by a, a method allowed them by state statute as one example. We also went on the, uh, and would, would look to do it again if we needed to, on the expense side. How do you cap things like health care costs? You don't have to be in government to know what health care costs are. Mm-hmm. How do you agree, as we did with between labor and management, around a table as opposed to across a table on ways to cap your costs without reducing benefits? We did it, I don't want to say by consensus, but basically by consensus, by agreement, and said this is what we're going to do in the city and save the city almost $20 million a year initially on that. So, so there's just a couple examples. How do you do it in, in 2015? It's probably going to be different than how you did it or how we did it in uh, 92, 93, and 94. But the, the, uh, the goal and the process will be the same. You analyze where you are, and then you look at both, obviously, the expense side and the revenue side. And I guess I have the, the credibility on that to say because I've done it. You've done it. But as you say, 2015 is probably going to be different from 1992. And, and you know, the whole labor part of this is a complicated picture, right? And you said, you know, you deal with it the way you deal with a business. Well, if I'm running a bakery and my revenues are down and my expenses are up, I mean, I'm probably going to lay off some bakers. You know, I just can't have as many bakers in my bakery. So, I mean, you got cops, you got firefighters, you got city workers. Uh, they're, they, they cost money. They cost money in all the benefits you were just talking about. They cost money in salary. Um, you don't want to run probably on the idea that you're going to re- reduce their workforce. No, we'll do that. Yeah. Did, did not do it before. Matter of fact, we've got through bankruptcy um, and balanced those budgets without doing that. And um, so I think that's significant as well. It's a good point, a, g- a very good point. But, I- again, looking back and, and what, looking forward, which I think is more important, that's not the, the answer. It's not to cut services. It's not to cut cops. That's what he's done. It's not to cut down on the ability to provide services and public safety. And your neighbors need to be clean. And, and safe, and your schools need to be funded. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about crime. Uh, there have been uh, some shootings in Bridgeport. Uh, it's turning in. I think we had two shootings in one day uh, recently. Two killings. In two one killings day. in one day. Um, is Bridgeport over? I mean, look, you know, these things they go up and down. They're hard to predict. They're things that are not necessarily under anybody's control. Is Bridgeport a safe city these days? Bridgeport's challenged in the area of, of safety. I think. 
mostly because, not because you don't have great officers, you do, but you have one of the lowest levels of uh, manpower in the Bridgeport Police Department where you're two years now. Two, this administration is two years behind the curb on hiring officers just to maintain, don't use this as a technical term, minimum manning. Minimum manning not by law, but minimum manning mean by percentage of, of, of police protection to population. And so they've allowed it for two years, and even to play catch-up in, in, in accelerated would be 18 to two years. So that's the challenge. You have no community policing. At a time across this country where we're seeing a division between law enforcement and the community, you have no outreach. In Trumbull Gardens, a name that we're probably too familiar with, where you had the worst shooting, in the, I think, in the history of the city, where nine individuals were shot, one killed, um, I walked those 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 houses and, and, and those uh, housing projects, and people said to me, "Look, we don't have any rapport," uh, and the cops will tell you the same thing. They don't have any rapport, or, or very little rapport. I don't say any, very little rapport enough to build the relationship because they're not given that they're not given that support from the top. It's unfortunate, and and, and unusually, just to add significance to this, which would be an objective data point, if you will, the police union. The union of the Bridgeport Police Department came out almost unanimously to endorse me and my candidacy, despite what would be, you know, the norm would be to endorse the incumbent and don't endorse the guy who's been through some of the things that I've done. Um, one of it is because of the support that they believe I intend to give that department and the people of the city of Bridgeport through, in the area of public safety, but also because of a track record of, of commitment to public safety in the city of Bridgeport. I hired 100 police officers last time I got elected. I look forward to doing it again. We're talking to Joe Ganim. The number, if you want to call in, is 203-776-WNPR, 203-776-9677. We're going to have to take a break pretty soon here, but I just want to stay with this police thing and, and cop thing and crime thing for a second here. So uh, a few months ago, and I think I saw you out in the audience, I was down in Bridgeport doing a thing about mass incarceration, uh, and Chief Gaudet was up on stage with me. I thought, actually, he sounded pretty good on the subjects you're talking about right now. Uh, community engagement, uh, community policing, engagement with the police, with the citizenry, uh, trying to erase that sort of us and them mentality. I, I thought he talked a pretty good game here. Do you think he's a, a good chief? I think he talked a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we've had, I had a chief when I was in who uh, understood the dynamics of providing, uh, making a strong commitment to making the city safer, um, regardless of whether he was liked or not liked, happened to be a, an African-American. Um, I think that there was a real commitment at that time from uh, my office as mayor and from the chief to provide the type of leadership. Um, yeah, we used at times we reached out, and as I've actually called this past week. I'll tell you, maybe this will answer your question. As of yesterday, uh, along with others, I called for uh, sent a letter to the governor asking for him to assign state troopers to the city of Bridgeport to help support the need for public safety in the city of Bridgeport. Yes, an unusual move for a citizen. I'm not a mayor, but I've been through it before. I know what it takes. I know how troopers can work hand-in-hand. Hand. And short-term, because they've allowed the manning levels to go down, this could be, and I hope that will be, a short-term answer. All right. Uh, you can't have them because the Hartford already took them. Uh, but it's a nice <laughs> idea, anyway. Um, all right. I, we really do have to take a break. We're talking to Joe Gannon right now. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be back after this. For Bridgeport is my port of happiness Bridgeport by the sea That's where I'll always want to be And we're back. Does that mean we're back? All right. (laughs) 
I've got to learn to pay attention here. Bridgeport song in a long time. Yeah, uh, we're talking to Joe Gannon right now, a former mayor of Bridgeport, seeking to be uh, the new mayor of Bridgeport. So um, we got to talk about this. So in, in 1996, Newsweek uh, picked you as one of the most dynamic um, mayors in America, 25 most dynamic mayors in America, and certainly by 90 by that time, 96, 97, a lot of really good things were happening in Bridgeport uh, with you as mayor. Um, budgets more balanced, crime is down, uh, schools are getting better, computers in the classroom, some development projects starting to be talked about. Ultimately, we get the stadium coming in for the Bluefish. Uh, the beginnings of Steel Point uh, start to happen. And then suddenly, 2001, 2002, we're reading about a different Joe Gannam. You know, Joe Gannam is in a lot of trouble. Uh, a guy who's been surrounded by people who are basically doing kind of a pay-for-play thing. And you, you know, a guy who's taking all, all kinds of stuff that he shouldn't be taking. A guy who's in a lot of trouble. How'd that happen? How'd that happen huge, to you? Huge, huge mistakes were made. By and you? I, by me. And I spent a lot of time, um, I'd look at it, I went through a process, the legal process, I paid my price. I've uh, openly been in churches and, and, and apologized for my mistakes. Um, and I've asked people, if you will, and maybe not in these words, for uh, a second chance uh, in life. And if they think I'm the right guy, um, having learned from all that, and with it, willingness and a desire, despite how, what the words are, how difficult it is to personally get reengaged in this process, is an opportunity to make right on those things. If that's at bottom, uh, maybe in part what, what drives this candidacy, along with a, an understanding and a knowledge that I can do a, a pretty damn good job at it when I'm on top of my game and now with the, the experience that I've learned. In the course of this campaign, certainly, the other side will continually, because I think, you know, when you got nothing, you're going to throw some mud up. So they constantly go back and say, well, remember what he did? Remember that? You know, you, you, you can't trust him or whatever. Um, and I've gone to people in every neighborhood. Now, if you want me to keep, I, I can make a longer answer. I can stop and let you ask Well, let me, just, let me stop you for a second and just say, um, I think um, that when I ask a question like that, um, uh, and you say, well, mistakes were made. Well, first of all, whenever anybody does that, I, I always want to hear them say, no, I made mistakes, not mistakes were made. But I think also when I sort of say what happened, what happened to you, I guess what I'm really asking you is how did you go from being this guy in 96 and 97 who was just leading a city, a really troubled city in the right direction to this guy who's really, who has, yeah, he's making terrible decisions. Why are you making terrible decisions? Did you get greedy? Did you decide you liked the good life? I mean, you've had plenty plenty of time to think about this. You must have some theory about why you did this. I mean, I'm talking to you today. You seem like a really nice guy with really good ideas. You seem, you know, uh, maybe appropriately humble. But so who was that guy in 2002 and the years leading up to that who was doing that stuff? What, what happened to you? I think there were a lot of things in addition to um, trying to deal with some of the challenges, moving fast, um, moving fast, maybe forgetting some of the fundamentals that we all learned when we were growing up. Um, not pausing and, and reflecting on staying on the right side of right on everything, which I think is important for everyone to do, even with the little things in their life. And when you, when you start, when those things start to happen, uh, things can unravel both, per, both personally and in this case, professionally or politically. And, and you find yourself looking over your shoulder saying, without swearing on the air, oh, you know, oh, sugar, Shoot, yeah. um, you know, where am I at? That's not, that's not where, that's not why I'm here. That's not what this is about. And, you know, you're, you're two tires up on the curb, if you will. And, and sometimes you can't, 
and you, you, it's too late to steer it back on uh, on course. So so you so so do you pa- stop and pause at some point? And I certainly had a lot of time to reflect, and you 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 digest. Um, your memory allows you to remember a certain amount, certainly a lot of details, and some things you you decide to move forward with, with with a um, hopefully with a a better focus, um, and with a stronger foundation. Now I will tell you this. Um, if, if it means anything, and it, it does to me, that in the course of this campaign, unexpectedly, and I stepped out alone, mm-hmm. I raised my hand, so to speak, and said, after being encouraged by people, I think for the right reasons, to, to go out and at least begin a listening tour and mm-hmm. to explore. But in that process, some of the individuals that became attracted to and ultimately supported me in this campaign and have said, quote, unquote, Joe's the best guy to lead the city of Bridgeport in the future were astonishing. For instance... The head FBI guy who led (laughs) the investigation for years, okay, who knew every intimate aspect of my life from wiretaps to, you know, I don't know all the things they did and I don't really want to revisit it, stepped up on his own and said, "Uh, my name's Ed Adams and I support Joe Gannum. I led the investigation for the Federal Bureau of Investigation against this man and I believe he's the best person to uh, lead the city of Bridgeport and I believe in second chances for him. To me, and, and, and I give him a lot of credit for that because... There's no ulterior motive. Uh, would, I, would I like that type of individual to maybe be part of what might be a, a, an office of transparency or an office of professional integrity in the city of Bridgeport? Someone like that? Absolutely, possibly in the future. I think it adds to that level of transparency I'd like to bring from my experiences, my good experiences, my bad experiences in city government. And I've had that with different individuals, leaders of the Bridgeport Police Department, um, civic leaders from surrounding towns. So... So those are, those are things that I think talk more about what's now, about the past, and, and it's appropriate for you to ask it and for me to try and answer it. When I talk to people in Bridgeport now, I will tell you, in, in real time, when I bring it up at door-to-door, they're like, i give you the example of even when I was mayor last time. I was mayor last time, and I was running for re-election the first time, and I was all excited. We had done all these things, and I said, well, we took it out of bankruptcy, and, 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 and we're paving your streets, and... and um, and we uh, were adding cops, and I went through my whole list of things, and I'm trying to make myself sound like I did all these great things as you do around election time. And the, the little voice in the back of the room, because I was speaking to a full room, he said, you know, he wasn't so much concerned about what I had done, good or bad. He raised his hand and said, what are you going to do about my taxes? Mm-hmm. And so I bring that full circle almost, what is that, 90, early 90s to t- 2015, when I knock on the doors and I go through all the things I did, it was good as mayor, all the experiences I had that were good and bad and my mistakes, and they say, all right, but what are you going to do if you're elected? What are you going to do with my taxes? And so in Bridgeport in 2015, it's about the future. They've accepted Joe Gannon for the past, I hope. Those that won't never will. Um, those that believe in second chances will, will look nostalgically at the positive things we did. And I think, know that I have the ability, because of the good things I did, to move the city forward again in an exciting and dramatic way that will bring a better quality of life for people in the city. We do have calls coming in. Lee, if you could just hold on for a second. I think there's a person named Lee who wants to get on the air. I just want to just follow this up a little bit more. So uh, I'm going to ask you a real personal question. Uh, so you got here early today uh, you got, and before I was even here, and I said, was he alone? No, he's got somebody with him. I figured you had a body man with you. You know, <laughs> politicians, they travel with what's I called. I do, actually. Yeah, yeah. Pretty tough they, kid. They, they travel with a body man. That's the guy who, you know, if somebody hands them something or whatever, you know. Anyway, um, so your body man's your son. 
what have you said to your son about all this? I mean, he knows dad was in prison for seven years. He knows dad's running for mayor right now. What did you, what have you said to him about the trouble you got into? And obviously too, you want to be a good dad. You don't ever want him to have this trouble in his life. So what have you said to him about all this? How did you explain to him what happened to you and how you'd like him to be different? Well, he's listening right now. Yeah. Obviously he's in the, he's in the, and there's, there's no secrets. Um, and even before running, we sat down or just had a, the conversation came up at one point. And I don't know if this is answer your question, but I'll put it out there anyways, where I said, we had a conversation saying, well, gee, I'm thinking of, and they were like, Oh, I said, what do you guys think? And they said, well, uh, you know, if you think no exact word, if you think you can do a good job, then you should do it. And I said, and, and, you know, point to some good things. I said, well, slow down. You got to understand there's going to be a bunch of people they are going to say, gee, your dad's the greatest thing to slice bread. He did this for the city. He took it out of bankruptcy. He kept the taxes down, and he made the city safer, and he helps people. Then you can have a group of people over here that says, oh, your dad's the, the worst thing in the world. You know, he's, he's, he's nasty. You're going to hear all kinds of stuff. And they rolled their eyes, and they said, Dad, we've heard that before. Mm-hmm. We know. We get it. We know. You know, we haven't been living in a, in a, what's the word, you know, in a vacuum. So there's, there's no new news here. There's lessons to be learned, mm-hmm. certainly. What do you think the lesson is? In other words, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't know what your family's like or what you've talked to about, to, how you talk to anybody about this, not just your family, but people you know well. I mean, you, you, one way you could tell the story is I got screwed. I was doing what everybody else did, but I got, I got screwed. The feds went after me, blah, blah, blah. Or you could say, as you've said in some of these churches, I did something wrong. I really did something wrong, uh, and I'm really sorry for it. And, you know, if I'm talking to my kid, and I never want you to do this again. you got to learn from my experience. Example is is that latter conversation the one that you have? I think that's right, but I think there's a I think there's a there's much as that is an important aspect to this. There's no question, and certainly the one that that's you know people salivate over when they want to get into the political discussion of what were the mistakes and what were the details and mm-hmm. who did you go to dinner with and and who paid the bill and how come you went to the Yankee game and you didn't you, know, you get into all that stuff which which I'm really not going to get into mm-hmm. is you know the the lesson about second chances. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I think as a society, I think we can make the greatest gains, depending on how it's handled. If people believe, and most people do, that, you know, it could be in finances, it could be professionally, it could be, you know, everybody has challenges they want to deal with. And the mm-hmm. people that come up to me, I've had people come up in tears mm-hmm. about second chances and start to talk to me about about this run mm-hmm. in tears. And, and, and when you, when you, engage them or they engage you, you find out in many ways it's not so much about me running, but it's about them and their life. Mm-hmm. Although I, I have no interest in getting into those details too. That was, There was a, <laughs> a trial. We learned all about the bottles of wine and the shirts and yeah. stuff. I don't care about that. But I guess I do care, and I'm not quite sure I, I understand it yet. Do, like, do you, th- do you think that you got, say, arrogant? Did you reach a point at which you were cocky, you believed the Joe Gannam Press, you started to read your own press and really believe it. Did you? Was there something that happened to you? you? You pick your own word for it. I mean, arrogant is a word that sometimes politicians wind up using about their past selves. I got arrogant. I, I thought the rules didn't apply to me. Something. Like, I mean, when you look back at that guy, that other Joe Gannum. I think. I think the way to answer that is, in the people that I trust now, that I think are honest with me, they will note things like that and say. You know, those are the things that they noticed at the time. So maybe you don't, I'm sure in your life or your listeners, sometimes you don't notice things about yourself when they're happening. Mm-hmm. If you have the ability to reflect on them, maybe you can see them. When people that you trust and believe point out, point them out to you, 
you accept that as being the truth and you try and factor that into your own perception of, of let's say, yourself at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I promise Lee we get to that phone call. We got, I, I don't know if that Lee is still, is Lee still on the line. Yeah. All right. So, by the way, we're talking to Joe Gannon right now. The number is 203-776-9677. Lee, I think we have you on the air. Go ahead. I cannot hear a word he said. <laughs> um, hold on. Say he that just, he, wait, he just paid me the greatest compliment in the world. Just say thank you. We'll move on. No, All right. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, Hello? So, by the way, we're talking to Joe Gannon right now. Oh, you're, she's, she's, I think she's got the radio on. All right. Well, let's move. I'll tell you what. We're going to go to a break anyway. Um, I want to come back now uh, a little bit more about the details of this campaign, uh, how the rest of it's going to unfold. We're talking to Joe Gannon. He's running for mayor, seeking his old office in Bridgeport. We'll take a break and we'll return. Looking at remains from all these old factories, stepping on broken glass. No one look at me. Tell from my attitude that I'm most definitely from. All right, we're back. Oh, we're down in New Haven. Uh, we're having a conversation with a guy who's running for Bridgeport. Uh, we're usually in Hartford. We're just triangulating cities here right now. Uh, Joe Gannon is running for mayor of Bridgeport. He's been mayor of Bridgeport before. Um, so we just talked about you know, the dark time in your life, and you wind up spending seven years in prison. That'd be incredibly tough. How are you different now? What kind of person are you coming out on the other end of this? Same guy or changed in substantial ways? No, I think there's a lot of positives that come out of anybody's uh, negatives in life, if I can use kind of a way to describe it. Anybody that's been through, you learn, you, well, first of all, when I was first elected, I think you pointed out, I think it was 32, 31 mm-hmm. or 32, I think it was 32, and um, well, 55. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, of, a lot of growing, let's hope positive growing in that process. Um, and back to, you know, through good times, you... You, it, it, all of us are able to float along the top a little bit and, and maybe not have to get into. What, what I think when you go through difficult times, regardless of how you get there, um, somebody one day you can wake up, God forbid, somebody can wake up with a health problem mm-hmm. or you have a family situation or you have a money problem. I mean, anybody who tells you they don't have problems or hasn't had them is, is just out and out lying. I guess what I'm getting to is when, when, when that happens, regardless of how it happens or why, you learn a lot and you, you learn about people where let's say they're truly supporters or just there when it's easy going. You learn certainly a lot about yourself and how you're able to deal with difficulties. And if you're, if you're smart, you take how bad, no matter how bad it looks in your situation and you compare it to somebody who has uh, greater challenges and you say, wait a minute, I can, is this really that bad? Is is my challenge anywhere near as bad as somebody else's challenges? And I hate to discuss what those challenges are. Someone could have a health problem, mm-hmm. or an incurable health problem, and you're saying, "Geez, I've got I've got a problem with my family at home." So, so that from a perspective, I think if it if it adds anything to to uh, to your to the answer, um, is kind of the way I've tried to look at things and to learn from the mistakes and um, become a more well-rounded. And the last thing I think, which is. I see day to day out there, especially in the projects or in the more or, or in the more impoverished sections of the city, is that um, I'm much more sensitive, mm-hmm. in many ways, to uh, the challenges that individuals in the city have. 
Um, if I was one name we haven't said here so far. So if I lived in Bridgeport, I was and I were a registered Democrat, um, I'd be thinking about you. You make a pretty compelling case for the way that your experience could really help the city now. Uh, I'd be thinking about Finch. She's the sitting mayor. We haven't said the name Mary Jane Foster. So uh, on some days, uh, as a citizen of Bridgeport, I might be thinking, you know, I mean, Ganem's kind of a machine guy in one way, and Finch is kind of a machine guy in another way. Maybe I should vote for Mary Jane Foster, who really represents presents herself as kind of a different kind of politician, maybe not part of the old style, the old school of Bridgeport politics, maybe something new. Why would that be a bad idea to vote for Mary Jane Foster? You know, I don't know enough about her. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about her, but I'd leave that up to the voters. If, if she can make a compelling argument, I invite anybody who wants to make a commitment to public service in the city to jump in um, and to make your case to the people. That's what I've done. I'm doing it retail. I'm out in every neighborhood. Um the sitting mayor has, has taken the position that he can he didn't have to talk to people he can kind of say i'm the mayor and you know come and vote for me um i, I don't really have a comment on her mm-hmm. um what i've seen is that people do want change in the city they do believe they deserve better uh, better quality of life mediocrity that's being delivered by city government is not adequate that we're entitled to at least an opportunity for the jobs that are being created for a, a decent education out of for our children in our public schools for safe neighborhoods, and um, that's not happening. Whoever can make the most compelling case to the most people in the Democratic Party between now and September 16th, I think, deserves to be the next the next mayor of the city. All right, we're going to try another phone call here. Our number, 203-776-9677. We've got Jim on the line. Hey, Jim. Jim, can you hear me? Phone? I can hear you. There you go. Hi, Jim. Uh, what's, what's on your mind? So... I just don't see how Mr. Gannon and Mr. Finch coming from the same structure are going to bring anything new to Bridgeport. And second, uh, second comment is, you know, appealing to taxes is, is just a craft. Uh, living in the city and working in the city and being part of the city is so much more than just taxes. So it's quality of life issues and things like that. So appealing just to Jim, what's an important issue for you? What's a quality of life issue for you that's more important than taxes? Mm, you might have lost him. Um, all right. So, well, let me just – so uh, one of the things he says is how are you going to be the voice of anything new? You already ran the city a certain way. Um, you're part of a tradition. You're backed by Mario Testa, who's about as old school as anybody can be. Uh, how, how are you going to bring a new idea to the city of Bridgeport? Give, maybe give an example of a new idea you've got. Well, example, I think one is that I mentioned before uh, is transparency. I know that's that's f- you know far to the right of where you might hear me talking, but office of, of integrity and transparency is one. I think that what's different, regardless of where we come from politically, is tax policy. Although you know it might be poo-pooed by some, but not very many, is when you see the taxes go up in this city by uh, every year. Again, except for an election year, for the past seven years and up almost 50% on the average homeowner to the to, to be called. Get this. I mean, I'm not making this up. The highest, maybe not the exact words, the highest tax community in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the poorest cities, I don't know what number, but one of the poorest cities, depending on what, what you use for demographics, um, you start to wonder, you know, something's wrong with this. Poor people shouldn't be paying the highest amount. What happens is, you don't. You just can't make ends meet. I, I don't even want to start looking at what the unemployment rate is. So, so taxes, people losing their homes, is important. Um, public safety and how you address it, regardless of whether you're a Democrat, regardless of whether you're, you've been mayor before or not, 
is important. How do you address? Do you have a plan for it? And the answer, for, at least my answer, is yes, I do. Um, and it's not to me. It's not that hard because I've done it before and I know how to get it done. It seems to be hard for the present administration because they're not doing it on both of those. Uh, taxes are up, crimes up, quality of education's down. I mean, those are those are objective and objective criteria. You know, they're just not ringing the bell on on, on even status and even providing basic, fundamental, uh, decent results on any of those. So, so that's just and that's just me talking. But it does it does have an element of truth to it. Um, yeah, I think Jim is maybe the only person in Bridgeport right now who's not concerned about his taxes. I, I, I'm, I, it's the first call to a tax show to a talk show from anybody from anywhere who wasn't worried about his property taxes. But um, so be it. Uh, here's uh, Nancy. Uh, Nancy, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you just fine. Thank you. Okay. Um, I've been listening, but what I haven't heard that I'd like to know is, for Mr. Gannum, how has your personal value system, how have your beliefs changed from the man you were back then, so that if you're the mayor again, you would never, you could never commit the crime that you committed back then? What's different about that part of you? That would reassure people, no, I could never do that again. All right. Thanks for that question, Nancy. And it's well phrased. Go ahead, Joe. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to even just harp on the, uh, the, the amount that we've all been through, whether it's me personally, the city, uh, family, friends. Knowing that, having experienced it, you, you have to be a complete idiot and, and uh, you know, not just dumb, but a complete idiot not to recognize the magnitude of, of, of that as being something that no one would ever want to ever see happen again. Um, my goal has been to surround myself with, with good quality, positive people. Again, to have the head guy who prosecuted for the, for the FBI come to a, a determination that I'm the best guy to lead the city of Bridgeport is a validation beyond anything I can say to you on, on this radio show. Um, and to, at bottom, to recognize that, uh, that the little things that maybe I didn't think were important that led to bigger things uh, as, as they can in anybody's life on anything, do every little thing uh, as you proceed with it needs to be done with much greater caution and, and reflection. Um, and so I think that that's part of the answer to, to that question. All right. Uh, speaking of surrounding yourself with high-quality, positive people, i got to thank uh, Jonathan, Jonathan McNichols running the board for me down here. Uh, hey. Betsy Kaplan, who produced the show. Uh, I am surrounded by positive, high-quality people. I'm going to get to Peter's call if I have time, but we are running a little bit low on time. And one thing I, I want to try to pin down a little bit is the scenario from here. Uh, one scenario is uh, you win the primary, and then the ball is in Finch's court in terms of uh, what he does or doesn't do. Uh, the other one is you lose the primary um what are you going to do then do you, can you envision uh getting signatures all over again and seeking uh, uh an independent line on the ballot yeah in bridgeport the primary is tantamount to the election within the democratic party because it dominates i don't know that we've given i certainly haven't given much thought to the process of of going beyond the primary i think we're going to win this in the primary because of the positive support we received from the democrats uh and people of the city of bridgeport so i'm optimistic about that I mean, as far as going with an independency or something, that question came up earlier today. Haven't given it much thought, and frankly, my focus has been and will continue to be on the primary. Doesn't sound like you're ruling it out, though. I haven't really thought about it. Uh -huh. uh, your question and a question, frankly, from a reporter earlier today were the only times that I've got 
as recently as yesterday had had even thought about it. Mm. Um, all right, let's try to get uh, squeeze Peter on the air. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he won't ask a question that requires a really long answer. Hi, Peter, you're on the air. Yes, hi. I, I'm sorry uh, that program is winding up, but I, I I'm from Stanford, and I, I'm going to go to the Moby Dick reading tomorrow uh, at Mystic Seaport, and I go through Bridgeport all the time on 95, and I see uh, bomb. I, I see these buildings that are like just. Uh, you know, boarded up um, factories from the old uh, days of the uh, defense, uh, when you had your defense industries going on and other things going on, all these factories that are just, uh, you know, on the right side, on the uh, on the left side, uh, and on the right side, you got the Bluefish Stadium and all that. My question is, how are you going to build back the industry? How are you going to bring back the 21st century industry in Bridgeport? Because, uh, right. you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to just wrap your question up so we don't run out of time. Yeah. So he's saying from the highway, Absolutely. it looks like a hellhole in some I used places. To, I used, yeah. That's right. How do you fix that? And that's exactly how we started with the arena in the ballpark. That was a clear focus on the anchor for downtown, but also the, uh, the visual from I-95 and the train tracks. Unfortunately, since I left, um, nobody's done anything there. Uh, they haven't moved. They haven't taken down one dilapidated building along that thoroughfare. They haven't made any any progress in there. The only progress that's been built on, belated as it is, is the progress that we started on Steel Point. So um, I'm with, you know, that's exactly one of the focuses that I in, in one of the the projects that we will restart again. Uh, assuming I have the support of the Bridgeport Democrats to get elected again uh, and start in January. All right. Although I would say the eco technology thing is a, that's a pretty good thing, a pretty good development in Bridgeport. Uh, all right. So we got to stop here. Uh, Joe Gannon, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, we'll be checking back in. We also uh, make an open invitation to uh, Mayor Finch and to Mary Jane Foster if they'd like to do the same thing. I'll even I'll meet you guys in New Haven too. I love coming to New Haven. Thanks to everybody who helped out today, and we'll be back tomorrow with the nose. Cripple on the corner cries out nickels for your pity Them downtown boys, they sure talk gritty It's so hard to be a saint here in the city Cool, huh?